Welcome to Teaching Takeaways, Season 1, Episode 13. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'm glad you're here. This podcast series is about sharing favorite tools, strategies, thoughts, and fun finds on all things education. If you have any connection to the education field and want to finesse your craft, this is the space to hang out and grab a piece of instant relevance, a teaching takeaway you can apply to your classroom the very same day. Friends, last week I posted on the podcast about revamping the book Desert in your classroom. We discussed the different areas of research, listened to kid perspectives from a variety of school environments, and provided a challenge for you all to sort and purge your classroom library. This week, I'm here to continue the conversation about an eye-opening first action step. The content of this podcast is from the book, From Striving to Thriving, How to Grow Confident, Capable Readers. Action step one, build a library for your students. What books do you have in your classroom? What books do you still need? Are you going to donate the well-worn books? Is recycling books a better option for you? What about a book swap with fellow teachers for more relevant reading material in everyone's classroom libraries? We need to answer these questions to come up with a plan to design a more meaningful and interesting library for our readers. Do you remember the last episode? When thinking about our library design, we need to think about the readers we expect to have each year and then customize it for the readers we meet. In the episode notes from last time, I provided a blueprint for the classroom library created by Maggie Hoddenot and Annie Ward. I'll post it in the show notes again this week for your reference as well. It's pretty awesome. When looking to stock up on books for your library, the authors suggest looking for books with a low effort to read ratio. What exactly is a low effort to read ratio? Well, it's basically about how much effort a reader has to exert to understand what is happening in the book. You know, different authors have different writing styles The low effort to read ratio they are talking about simply means readers need immediate gratification from the book as they make their way into the unfamiliar text. Striving readers need a clear beginning, middle, and end in fiction books they read. They don't need a flashback to start the story. Flashbacks and quotes to start a book can be a burden for striving readers. They have to carry that out-of-place information with them while starting to read the story and apply it later on for the plot to even make sense. The authors suggest seven different types of book formats with a low effort to read ratio. Book format number one is compendium. I wasn't exactly sure what that was to be honest, After looking a little further, compendium books are collections of bite-sized, fascinating facts, motivating even the most reluctant of readers. These books give striving readers access to information that might be fun and strange, like the Guinness Book of World Records. 
World Records gives fascinating information in a fun, easy-to-read format. Readers can skip around based on their interest levels. Format number two are the how-to or the procedural books. I'm sure we all know these are books that include cookbooks, craft books, gaming uh, manuals, etc. The reward in reading these books is the clear text features as well as illustrations to support all readers. They are not viewed as childish, which again is the social piece to build up your readers in the upper elementary classrooms. The interesting thing with this section I hadn't thought about before is that procedural books provide readers with authentic reading opportunities. It's real life, which makes them happy. It also provides practical reasons to reread the text, building comprehension and fluency. Winning! Side note, I have another teaching confession I hope you can relate to. Years ago, when I taught fifth grade in the classroom, I was really big on the repeated readings. I didn't realize the text format I had chosen each week for my students to do the shared readings with was actually killing their love of reading instead of growing their love of reading. Using cookbooks and gaming guides is actually a better tool for the repeated readings because there's a reason why the rereading is happening. I guess it's okay to have this teaching confession because in the field, you always want to grow and do better. So being a reflective practitioner is a good thing. Book format number three, anthology and bound sets. These books are gathered in a single kit. They look like they are hefty chapter books, which again helps with the social situation. They're part of a series, and it gives striving readers the opportunity to read books and have a sense of accomplishment of continuously having access to the next book in the set. It gives them the opportunity to spend time with the characters and to really process how characters evolve over time. Book format number four, infographics. Over the past few years, infographics have really taken off for quick ways to share information. Did you know there are infographic books out there to give information to students? The authors talk about infographic books uh, are actually offered on a variety of subjects. The book example shared is called Animals by the Numbers, a book of animal infographics. Book format number five are actually joke books. I definitely have a hole in my library in this department. When I go back to the classroom, I'll make a focused effort to add more of these to the mix. The authors explain reading joke books increases conversations with students about vocabulary and figurative language. The reader and the listener both want to understand the punchline. Because joke books are light and fun, repeated readings are likely to happen, which includes fluency for our readers as well. Again, winning with something simple like a joke book. Book format number six, 
interactive books. These are the choose your own adventure books that are so fun to read. We talked about this several episodes ago with the what should Darla or what should Danny do books. They also have the choose your own adventure American girl books my daughter really likes. These books provide opportunities for the reader to be in charge. A lot of times that's all they want. Control to read a book how they want to read a book. Interactive books help fill the void while keeping them engaged in the text. Readers might read a book cover to cover to exhaust all of the different plot options. I know that's what my daughter did with the Danny and Darla books. She went back and had the characters make some poor choices mixed in with some better choices just to see what would happen. Again, winning with engagement on readers. The final book format for striving readers is book format number seven, free verse novels. I wasn't really sure what this type of book was. So after looking around and rereading this part of the book just a few more times, it's basically a book written in a poetic way. They are unrhymed and without patterns. It's a grand poem, if you will. So those are the book formats recommended for a low effort to reward ratio. I will put up in the show notes a graphic from page 98 in the book. The graphic shows the anatomy of a book with the effort to reward ratio. Hopefully, as you're looking at books, you can evaluate things you already have in your classroom. Building a classroom library takes time and resources. My hope is to help start the conversation as well as provide realistic ways to grow your library. It's never intended to feel like an overwhelming to-do list of things to purchase. My hope is to give ideas for opportunities to use what you have and see areas you can grow in. This way, when you're making a classroom wish list or creating a donor's choose project, you have some ideas for jumping off points. Now, let's talk about a list of must-have genres for your striving readers. The research, time and time again, supports things we've already talked about on the podcast. The number one must-have genre for striving readers is, you guessed it, nonfiction. Nonfiction is awesome for striving readers because you can read it however you want. There isn't a right or wrong way to read nonfiction. It's a more welcoming genre for readers trying to grow in their reading journey. In case you needed more reasons to beef up your nonfiction in the classroom library, the authors have provided five reasons why nonfiction is a must-have genre. Number one. Nonfiction shows us the world is fascinating. Number two, it gives multiple ways to read the book. Students can look by topic, term, or jump around by each picture page. It empowers the readers. Number three, nonfiction has tons of text features to help support the larger vocabulary or ideas they may not be familiar with. 
the same information is given to them using material presented in a different way, such as diagrams or an infographic. Number four, nonfiction helps kids relate new information that they are learning from the book to things they already know about the topic. For example, they give the book National Geographic Kids Ultimate Bodyopedia as a book suggestion. In this example, children are taking the new information learned from the book and applying it to what they already know about themselves or people in general. It makes sense to the reader. And the number five or the fifth reason why we need more nonfiction in our classroom library is that nonfiction builds social energy with children. It's so hard to be a kid right now. We don't need to give children opportunities to be bullied or picked on because of whatever it is they're reading. If we can level the playing field just a little bit by providing access to quality books in our classroom library, we are giving our striving readers the opportunity to grow confidence and have conversations with their peers to share the newly acquired knowledge. So then your classroom environment is actually boosted as well because you added some nonfiction to your classroom library. Number two must-have genres are series books. These are super important to have in your classroom library because the research shows series books create lifetime readers. I'm sure you could ask a friend or colleague about a favorite book series they had growing up and they could tell you at least one, if not more. My favorite books growing up were Nancy Drew, Babysitter's Club, and Little House on the Prairie. They evoke happy memories to this day as an adult, just as they did as a child. Now fast forward to present day, I know Harry Potter series skyrocketed reading interest with the very first book and has continued for I don't even know how long. To this day, people are still excited to learn more, read more, watch the movies, visit the themed rides at amusement parks, and buy merchandise. Diary of a Wimpy Kid and Dogman are equally popular series amongst readers. We want to make sure our classroom library stays current with the books that kids are talking about. Now, a word of caution when stalking series books in your classroom. Being aware of the series you have in your classroom and the level of appropriateness to the grade level you're teaching is crucial. Remember, the goal is to create an inclusive classroom environment of readers. A good example here is Magic Treehouse. Oftentimes, kids are flying through this book series in second and third grade. If you're a fifth grade teacher, you probably wouldn't want to have the Magic Treehouse series in your classroom library because it's going to create a level of social awkwardness Striving readers would still be viewed as different because even though they're reading chapter books, their peers read the series a few years earlier. I would suggest that only certain series are available to specific grade levels in the classroom. This would be a great conversation to have with your instructional facilitator, literacy specialist, or admin team. Obviously, you can't control what people buy and read on their own time, but we can make things a little bit more welcoming for our readers. We're trying to grow inside of our classrooms if 
we keep the series grade level specific at school. When seeking out grade level appropriateness, the authors suggest high interest, mature looking, but accessible series for striving readers such as Erie Elementary for upper elementary students. The third must-have genre in your classroom library are graphic novels. We've talked about how awesome graphic novels are already. They're an awesome way to encourage reading and get kids excited about books. If you want to revisit graphic novels, just go back a few episodes or Google grade-level appropriate graphic novels to help guide your selection. The fourth must-have genre are short text. This is another genre that is food for thought when setting up your classroom library. Short texts are short nonfiction, have support such as text features to help readers understand, and are inexpensive to buy or make copies of. They also allow for differentiation while providing opportunities to learn about interesting and authentic subject matter. The completion rate is short, so it's easy to do because it's not a hundred plus page of something else to read. The fifth genre is poetry. The authors suggest adding poetry when building your classroom library. They say poetry is a powerful genre that has the power to capture striving readers' hearts and imagination. The only caveat is to choose carefully as we tread lightly with topics. I like to have poetry out in April on display, but having it out year-round might actually be more beneficial in the bigger picture. What do you think? Genre number six, wordless picture books. Quinn Rollins discussed this in Play Like a Pirate about how beneficial wordless picture books can be. They are inviting and accessible because there are no words on the page. Students can read the story by creating a story based on the pictures they see. Wordless picture books offer an opportunity for students to focus on detail, and it also creates an opportunity for dialogue between reading partners. Genre number seven was super fun to learn about, and I had never thought about this, but coffee table books. These would be a fun one to add to your classroom library. Think of it more like juice table books or hot chocolate table books. You get the idea. You know, the big picture books on architecture, art, countries, national parks. I'm sure if you put it out there to families or on social media, a bunch of donations would start coming in. People travel. They get excited and buy the coffee table books to remember the experience. Over time, people change their home design, so they get rid of them. Coffee table books are an awesome addition to upper elementary classrooms because they provide an opportunity for reading those bigger, bulkier books, but in picture book form which makes things fun. These books create curiosity about the world that they still haven't fully experienced. 
The books invite prolonged attention to the pages because of the excitement of things they might not have seen before. A coffee table book, the author suggests, is the National Geographic rarely seen photographs of the extraordinary. Doesn't that sound exciting? Now that we've talked about the different kinds of books we should be looking to add into our classroom library, I'm sure you're thinking, holy moly, this is going to make me go bankrupt. I can't do this. Amanda has lost her mind. Don't worry about it. The authors will even tell you that it is very overwhelming and expensive to do. A library overhaul takes a village approach to switching books out. The first step, again, as discussed in the last episode, is to do a book swap with teachers in your building or teacher friends you have wherever you are. Step one allows you to see what books you have and what books you still need. After you know where you're at and what you need, create a Donors Choose project. I would suggest that maybe you have a Donors Choose project for books and have a few different projects going at once. You could have maybe one out there for flexible seating or technology. And as one project is funded, cycle back in another book project. People want to put books in the hands of children, so they will donate to a book cause. I love the Donors Choose platform. I think it's a really cool resource to help classrooms. The times are always changing with hot new releases. What's really hot for a few years may fall off the radar. And then you're like, oh snap, I have to figure out series books again and there's more money I have to spend. But it doesn't have to be that way. On pages 112 and 113, the authors provide opportunities to learn what are the hot new books. They suggest the following places to learn more about new books. The Cooperative Children's Book Center, the American Library Association, the National Science Teachers Association, the Orbis Pictus Award for Outstanding Nonfiction for Children, and finally, Children's Choices and Teachers' Choices. These resources are out there to help you find what great books are available. If you have the Scholastic Book Order during the school year, you could add in a couple of pieces every time you do a book order using your teacher points from a previous order. Again, this isn't an overnight project. It's an ongoing project that you strive to do better with each new school year for the readers you have the opportunity to grow. Finally, if we circle back round to the purging of books discussed in the last episode, we have to be careful when we're getting rid of the books in our classroom library. We want to make sure we're not taking those books and giving them to less fortunate readers in the community. I know that statement sounds weird or wrong on so many levels, but just hear me out for a minute. When we give books, we should be giving a newer book in fantastic condition. 
We want the recipient of the book to be excited about the, getting a book of their very own. Charitable efforts are often misguided and can be insulting to families. We want striving readers to have access to the freshest and most appealing books from the classroom, not the worn out leftovers. Well, friends, thanks for hanging with me to discuss the first action step to overhauling the book desert in our classrooms. I'll be back next time to share the second step in the overhaul process. I would love to hear how the purging goes in your classroom. I can be reached on most social platforms. And on a side note, thanks for being understanding about the background traveling of vehicles. We live in a nice neighborhood that I thought was quiet. Um, However, the traffic that comes out right now is nuts. And um, inside, it's even more nutsy. So I had to kind of pick, as you all can probably understand. So I chose the front porch, but I had no idea how much traffic was on our road. So thanks for being understanding during this unique time in our world. If there is ever a topic you would like more information on, direct message me on Twitter at Amanda Hallman, on Instagram at Teaching Takeaways, or by email, teachingtakeaways at gmail.com. Thanks for hanging with me for a piece of instant relevance, a teaching takeaway to use in your classroom the very same day. See you next time for a new teaching takeaway.